In today's episode of the Microgreen Podcast, I'm going to go back to basics. I'm going to talk about my philosophies of growing microgreens in the home. Welcome to the Microgreens Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Marsh, and I'm on a mission to help you, teach you, and motivate you to grow flavorful and nutritious microgreens in your home. Each Microgreens Podcast is meant to supplement content published on homemicrogreens.com, but in reality, the show is more about sharing with you the joys of growing your own food. Not only is it more nutritious, but seeing those plants grow will lift your spirits, bring a smile to your face, and give you a positive outlook on life. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 49 of the Micah Greens podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, today I want to go back to basics. I want to talk about my philosophies of growing Micah Greens in the home. I know I have a lot of new listeners out there, and uh, there's so much information on the website that a lot of this information, I think, will get can get lost. So I just want to put it all in one place. So if someone asks me about my philosophies or what I think about growing microgreens in the home, I can point them to this podcast, and they'll have at least a synopsis of my philosophies and thoughts about growing microgreens. None of my processes are novel. I don't think I need to reinvent the wheel to grow microgreens. All I've done is taken other people's ideas or methods and put them into a workflow, if you will. Let's start with trays. Let's first go with the heavy-duty trays. I recommend Bootstrap Farmers 1020 and 1010 trays. They're heavy-duty. They don't bend. They won't break. You won't dump your soil out of them. The trays won't break. That's why I recommend them. They're really heavy-duty. For the smaller trays, I use these food containers. They're just, why should I go to a place and pay a whole lot of money for them to design something that I can readily buy inexpensively and modify? That's why I use what I do, and they're so small that you don't really have to worry about breakage. In fact, I'm still using a container to scoop out and measure soil that I've had for four years. Once in a while, I get comments like, this is just a food takeout container. Well, yeah, that's what it is. Why do I need to reinvent something that's already there? I just take the time and put holes into the bottom of them for the planting trays. You're just paying for that service. And obviously shipping, because even though we do have free shipping over a set amount of money, it's really not free, right? I mean, every business takes their shipping cost, how much uh, revenue they make, figure out a percentage, and then figure out their profit percentage, and figure out where those lines intersect, and that's the cost that they set for free shipping, even Amazon does this. So my philosophy for the type of trays are if you got larger trays and they can get heavy with the water in them, I recommend the heavy-duty bootstrap farmer trays. For smaller trays, almost anything will work as long as it holds the weight. You just have one tray that has no holes in it, and you put holes in another tray, and then you have a planting and water tray set. That's exactly what I do. You're just paying for the convenience of me putting the holes in the bottom for you. Let's talk about tray size. A lot of people just grow in 1020 trays. I don't really need that much that many microgreens. I know where some people could. Um, then there's 1010 trays. And for some varieties, I would grow my own microgreens in 1010 trays. But I generally like the smaller trays, like the home microgreens trays, because I can grow a wider variety of microgreens and include them in my meals. I just don't want to grow a whole tray of broccoli and then eat broccoli microgreens. I want to grow broccoli and kale and some herbs and some other microgreens and mix them all together in one thing so there's better flavors better nutritional balance that's just the way i like to grow microgreens 
I've also found that it's much easier to grow microgreens in smaller trays. There's better airflow. They just seem to grow microgreens a little bit better than if you put them in a 10-20 tray, whether the 10-20 tray is just crowding so many seeds in at once, the plants don't really just grow as well. They don't have as much room to spread out. I'm not quite sure, but I found out that it's easier to grow in smaller trays. I have less disease problems. It's easier for me to water uh, the whole tray more uniformly than I can in 10, 20 tray. I just like growing in, in the smaller trays. Yes, that's a little bit more work. It takes a little bit more time to plant that many trays and a little bit more time to water those trays. But in the end, I get better microgreens out of it. And again, like I said before, my whole purpose is to get the best nutritious and flavorful microgreens I can. I mean, when you go to the store, do you buy the lettuce that is fresh and crisp and looks like it was just picked, or do you buy the lettuce that's been sitting around for a week? It's got some wilty leaves on the outside. It's a little bit yellow because it didn't grow in this nutritious soil. Even if it costs less, which which of those two do you buy? You, you buy the best, right? You buy the better, the more nutritious, the better looking food, better looking lettuce. And it's the same way with microgreens. This is why I like to grow microgreens in the smaller trays and with soil, because I think you get better microgreens out of it. That's just my philosophy on growing microgreens. If you want to grow in aluminum pants, which I wouldn't recommend, or if you want to grow on some sort of matting, or if you don't even want to use soil and just use water or just water with no fertilizer, I'm, go for it. That's great. That's just not my philosophy. I just don't think you get as good of a product as you do growing in smaller trays with soil. And I haven't talked about soil yet, but that's what's next on the list is I grow my microgreens in a potty mix, not really soil, but a potty mix. Besides my seed mixes, my soil is the only thing that is sort of like proprietary, if you will. I add my own ingredients to a base soil. The base soil is good. As a matter of fact, it's actually grown plants on the International Space Station. It was used, it was used to do that. But I add a few more things, not necessarily for microgreens, although I think one of the products does help. Um, but the other ones help out more when I compost the soil and add it to my garden. Trust me, the soil is a lot of work. I think I handle each bag or each volume of bag of soil about eight times before I actually put it into a box and ship it to you. And it costs me a lot of money. That's a big expense in shipping is shipping soil. But again, I, th I think it's the best. I think the whole microgreens potting mix grows the soil, grows the soil the best, grows the microgreens the best. And I do compare it against all other soils, right? Even, even the bigger brands, that's what I'm testing right now. And so far, it grows better or holds its own against any soil that I found. So here's my plea to you. If you have some other sort of grow media that you would like me to test, whether it's a soil, a screen, a fabric, whatever, let me know. Even better if you send it to me. I'll give you my address if you want. Just give me an email at toddahomemicrogreens.com and say, hey, can you, can you test this against your soil or can you test this against anything? And I'll do it because that's what home microgreens is all about. And even though I do grow in my own potty mix, if I found something better, especially if it was cheaper, I would definitely use that. Now, I'm not going to use miracle Grow because I'm not really keen, I guess is a better word. I'm not really keen on using products from bigger companies. If the potty mix I use grew terrible microgreens compared to an organic or a non-synthetic fertilizer potty mix like miracle Grow Performance Organics, and, it, and that did a much better job than the whole microgreen soil, I'd switch in a minute. I would gladly go to Home Depot as often as I could and buy that soil instead of buying hundreds of bags of soil and handling them eight times before I put them into a box. 
But right now, the Home Monkey Greens Potty Mix is doing a great job, and I'm still going to use it. And I am testing all a bunch of other soils, and you can see the results, and then you can do with that information as you want. You can use those soils. If you don't want to handle the soil, and I understand it, it's a problem to get rid of sometimes, I completely understand. And you can use your grow mats or your screens. You're just not going to get as good a microgreen as you can when you grow out of a good potty mix. And again, I'm all about growing the best microgreens you can. And right now, a good potty mix will grow microgreens better than anything. I really don't see why anyone would want to use just water and then add some salty fertilizers to it and think it's good. Now, there are some fertilizers out there that I'm testing that, that may be a good alternative. But again, it's an additional cost. But if you're not buying the soil, it probably works out about the same. And I will be testing new things besides soil in, in the future here this winter. Soil's expensive. I spend thousands of dollars and a lot of labor to get my soil where it is. And if I can just order something every week and have it delivered and it's in a box and it comes to my doorstep, I'll gladly do it if it grows microgreens as well as the potty mix that I use right now. And again, if you have some sort of grow media that you'd like me to test, let me know. Send me an email at toddahomemicrogreens.com. I'll see if I can get it. Better yet, you can send it to me. Or even better yet, ask the people Ask those manufacturers or the people using that product if they would test their product against, against my potty mix and see if they will do those tests. I know they won't because they have skin in the game and they, they're all about their product. I'm not that way. No one would ever put their product up against Scott's miracle Grow like I did. Like I just have no problem. If it grew it that much better, I'd think about using the synthetic fertilizer potty mix. But it didn't grow microgreens that much better or better at all, so... I'm not going to use a synthetic fertilizer. I'm still going to use my potty mix. So again, I know I'm I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but if you have a product you want me to test, please, please just let me know and I'll test it. Then we'll all know. And as far as soils, I like the coconut core mixes better than I like the peat, bo- peat moss mixes. I just think they wet better. I think they stay, uh, I think there's less watering involved. In other words, you have to water them less times than you do with a, with a peat moss mix. I'm not really too big on um, harvesting peat moss and what it, what it does. Now, coconut core isn't any better because it has to ship a long ways around the world. I'm not saying anything, nothing's sustainable. The sun's not even sustainable, right? It's going to burn out eventually. Um, I get that. But I just, I don't know. It's a renewable product, and I like to use more renewable products if I can. That's why I don't even mind using plastic containers, because I'm getting multiple years' use out of them. I could use a fiber container, but then I had to pay someone to ship it, ship all those across country and then use all that diesel to get them here, and plus the processing of all those when I can just have them process a plastic tray once, and I can use it for my lifetime. You know, I can. we are using oil when we use the... Um, bootstrap farmer trays, but I can have a case of 60 shipped to me once on one UPS truck instead of shipping a cardboard or a peat moss based container to me, I don't know, thousands of times. Like it just makes more sense to bite the bullet and use a little bit of plastic that will, that I can use for a lifetime rather than to use something that still uses oil to either get it here or even produce. Okay. So now we know we grow in trays and we grow with soil. What about seeding density? I guess that's next. Now, you know what? That's not next. The next thing is how I water the trays before sowing. Um, I've seen some YouTube videos and some websites suggest that you wet the whole soil. Matter of fact, some of them, they even put the soil in the tray and then you add water and you mix it up to get the soil moist. 
I don't believe in that. I believe in just wetting the upper surface of the soil, the top one third, if you will. The reason for this is extra water in your system is just going to add problems. Let's take the atmosphere, for example. If we have a lot of humidity, a lot of moisture in the air, what happens? Storms develop. And that's the same thing that happens if you have extra water in your soil. All that water in the soil will actually go upwards. It'll try to evaporate out of your soil. And that just goes up next to your seeds and your seedlings. And all the uh, mold spores that are in the soil or on the seeds are in the air. And then those will start to grow. So if you have less moisture in your soil to start with, you're better off. The seeds don't need soil at the bottom of the tray. I'm seeds. The seeds don't need moisture or water at the bottom of the tray. They're not down there. They're only up in the upper top of the surface. That's the only place they need moisture. And when you put the dome on top of them, whether it's a dome or with the weighted method, a tray separator, that holds in the moisture right next to the seeds. So your trays are not really losing a lot of moisture. When your soil is wet to the bottom, it tries to evaporate. It tries to go up to the top and evaporate. And what happens is it gets stuck on the tray separator or the tray or whatever you're using or the dome, whatever you're using on top. That condensates because it's cooler. That moisture condenses on top of the surface, drips back down on your seeds and soils, and now you're sitting in a swamp. I don't remember seeing anyone or hearing anyone else recommend this, so maybe this is one of the novel things that I do is I just don't wet the whole soil the whole soil profile, just the upper one third or less. That's all the seeds need. That's all the moisture you need to get the seeds germinating. And then once they go into blackout, then we will water them and get the rest of the soil moist so those roots can travel further down. So now that we wetted the upper one-third of the soil surface, not to the bottom, we're going to add our seeds. And then I recommend a, a smaller seed density. A smaller seed density? A less seed density? A lesser seed density? I recommend using less seeds than other people do. Again, this goes back to my philosophy that I'm trying to grow the best microgreens, not the most microgreens. So I add, I, I want to grow enough microgreens, but I want to add just enough seeds so those uh, plants can grow and have a little bit of room to spread out. I don't know if the other people just think that if they use more seeds, they'll buy more seeds or they'll buy more seeds through my affiliate link and they get more money that way or they just repeating the dogma on the internet. But I've seen some ridiculous seeding rates out there like using ounces for like small seeds. It's just crazy. Yeah, you'll get a lot of plants, which gives a lot of stems. You won't get much leaf material. And I do have some articles out there that show most of the nutrients are in the leafy part, not in the stems for the most part. So I want to grow the best microgreens I can. So there's a balance between growing great microgreens and growing enough microgreens to make it worthwhile. So I've taken the time to figure out seed densities. There's a whole process behind my seed densities. One, how big is the plant going to get when we harvest it? Um, what's the habit of the plant? In other words, what's the growth habit of the plant? There's a lot of things that go into it. And, and are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. But they're going to get you in the ballpark where you can either add a little bit more seed or take a little bit of seed away, depending on how you view the situation. But my numbers are going to get you in the ballpark. And again, I have seed density calculators to figure that all out if you don't know anything about that. And I'll have some links down in the show notes. Uh, show notes for this episode will be actually in any of the um, podcast players you have. Or you can always go to homemicrogreens.com forward slash four nine. 
So for any of the podcasts, you can either go to the homemakerings.com forward slash and then a number of the episode. Some of the earlier ones, I actually put a zero in front of them. So like 13 would be zero one three, but the later ones have just been um, whatever episode it is. So like this is episode 49. So it's forward slash four nine. Okay. So we have smaller trays, soil. Don't wet the whole soil profile when we're germinating seeds and use fewer seeds than what most people recommend or use my seed density calculators. That's what we have so far. So now we have them in the blackout. I have photos of almost all the microgreens and what they should look like when you take them out of the blackout. As far as growing methods, I think the weighted, the weighted blackout method is the best. For some microgreens, like the really thin ones, like a few mustards and amaranth, I do use the dome method. And then I do use the buried method for seeds that look like beet seeds or Swiss chard seeds because the uh, plant emerging from the soil and the buried method will actually rip off that seed husk, which is very hard and very difficult to take off microgreens once they have grown up. So um, I do have another whole uh, article. It's actually on a page that will show you short little videos of all the four different germination methods I use. And again, I'll link that down in the show notes. But let's say we have our microgreens planted in soil at the right seed density. They've emerged from the blackout. And again, the weighted blackout method will work for everything. Um, what do we do next? Well, as soon as they come out, we don't have that whole soil, pro soil profile wet. So we need to water them. And I do not water over the top. I try to keep the microgreens as dry as they can. If you're going to have any mold or fungus problems or even insect problems for that matter, because insects are drawn to moist soil, it's going to be because you water over the top. The microgreens are wet themselves. The top of the soil is wet. To help mitigate this, I recommend bottom watering. That's why the planting tray has holes in it. The watering tray does not. You pour some water into the watering tray and set the planting tray on top. The water is forced up into the holes, into your coconut core soil base, which absorbs water really well, and that waters your microgreens. I like to use trays where the watering tray and the planting tray are the same size. One, you can't really overwater that way. At least you can't overwater in one watering that way. Because if you put too much water in, you put the, tr the planting tray on top, the water just spills out the side. So you have to limit the amount of water you add each time. Two, the smaller or the same size tray will actually force water up in because you're putting weight of the planting tray on top of the water surface. It can't really escape out the side, so it's forced up into the bottom of the tray. And that's how your soil becomes moist. Now, I did say you can't overwater that way. Well, you can. You can't overwater that way in one day or one setting. You can overwater by watering every day or too often. So how do we know when to water? Well, when we've taken the tray out of the blackout, the tray has a certain weight to it, a certain mass to it. And remember, this is the time when they are dry, right? We have only watered the upper soil surface, so the bottom of the soil is not wet at all. That weight in your hand is the weight that the tray should be when you water again. Now, when you add water to it, you're going to see that the tray is much heavier. Water is quite heavy, and you're going to tell a big difference between when there is moisture in the soil. Again, soil and potty mix are the same. When there's moisture in the soil, then when there's not. So when that tray is light, like it was in the blackout, and when you took it out of the blackout period, that is when you water. Also, plants are not on a schedule. You can't say, well, I'm going to water them every other day because your plants don't know what every other day is. 
Your plants are going to use different amounts of water depending on lots of things. One, how big they are, how actively they're growing, how many plants you have in the tray. It's going to depend on how much air movement is going over the tray. It's going to depend on the temperature. There are so many environmental factors that the plants don't have a set schedule when they need water. You just can't say, like, I'm going to water my microgreens every other day or every third day. No, you water your microgreens when they need water. And sometimes that is a judgment call. So what do you do in those cases? Well, just water half the amount you normally do. Just play it safe. If you give them a little bit of water, they're going to survive. And if they're dry again the next day, or they're, I'm sorry, they're not dry. If the tray is late again the next day, then you just add a little bit more water. So instead of setting a watering schedule, just check your plants every day. That's just the safest way and the best way. Again, we don't want extra moisture. Extra moisture is only going to cause problems with mold, fungus, disease, and insects. And really, that's the whole process. The rest is just letting your microgreens grow and deciding and when to harvest them. And when do you decide how to harvest them? When they're large enough where you think that you can get a knife underneath them and get enough microgreens off the tray to make it worthwhile. But the best thing is, what do they taste like? Do I like the microgreens when they're in the cotyledon stage or do I like the microgreens when they've gone to the true leaf stage? Now, some microgreens like radishes or most radishes or broccoli, you just can't grow them to the true leaf true leaf stage. They're just going to taste terrible. But for mustards and a lot of the other microgreens, you're just going to have to decide on your own when you think those microgreens are ready to eat. And the best way is just to clip off a few plants and taste them and see if you like the way they taste and then let them continue to grow and then t taste them the next day or taste them in a couple more days or taste them when the true leaves have formed to see if you like them. Sometimes you're just going to have to decide on how you like things. I'm going to use broccoli, for example. A lot of people like broccoli to grow up four or five inches tall, still in the cotyledon stage before they harvest them. I, I don't like them that big. I think the stems are a little bit hard and there's just a lot of stem. I harvest my microgreens or my broccoli microgreens pretty early compared to most people when they're still small, softer, more tender. That's when I like to use broccoli microgreens. So it's up to your personal taste on when you want to harvest your microgreens. Wow, I guess I've rambled on quite a bit. So let me wrap this up here. So my philosophy in growing microgreens. I like to grow in smaller trays. In those smaller trays, I like to add a potting mix that has a lot of natural amendments in it. The amendments are basically natural fertilizers without synthetic chemicals. And yes, they do help the plants grow, even fast-growing microgreens. I think about after three days, a potting mix that has some nutrients in it will do a much better job growing microgreens than a potting mix that does not have nutrients in it. Before I sow the seeds, I like to wet just the upper third of the soil surface. I don't like water all the way down through the whole soil profile. That only adds problems. And then when I do spread the seeds, I use my seed density calculator to calculate or determine how much seed I'm going to use on that tray. And the purpose of a good seed density is to let the microgreens grow up to a good size, but not overcrowd. Then I choose the appropriate appropriate blackout method, and I'll put a link down below for all the methods I use for that microgreen, and put them into the blackout. Once they reach the stage where they come out of the blackout, and again, all of my articles show pictures of when I think those microgreens, or that variety of microgreen is ready to come out of the blackout, I then bottom water the microgreens for the first time. From here on out, no water is ever spread across the top of the soil or the top of the microgreen. 
All the water comes from the bottom. This keeps the microgreens dry, keeps the soil surface drier, causes less mold issues, less disease issues, and less pest issues. Then I only bottom water the microgreens when the tray needs water. And how do I know if the tray needs water? By how heavy it is. I feel the weight of it. If it's light like it is when I put it into or when I first take it out of the blackout, then it's ready for water. If it's heavier than that, I don't water until and just check it the next day. If I'm in doubt if the microgreen tray needs water and it feels sort of light, but maybe not, then I just give it a little bit of water just to get me through until the next day and then go through the whole process again. I then let the microgreens grow until they're the appropriate stage, depending on the variety. And then I harvest them. I guess I didn't touch on harvest. I'll touch on harvest right now. So at what stage do I harvest? It depends on the microgreen variety and the flavor that I like or how I'm going to use those microgreens. Now, as far as harvesting, my preferred method of har- my preferred method of harvesting is to harvest as I need them. I let the tray continue to grow and just harvest what I want to use that day. Now, at some point, those microgreens will get to a point where I do need to harvest them, and then I have different storage methods. And I'll put the sto- the way how I store microgreens in the refrigerator down below. But I don't ever really harvest a whole tray of microgreens until they get to a point where. They're too big for me or I don't like the flavor as they grow. So then I'll harvest the whole tray and store them in the refrigerator. I do like to harvest with a very sharp knife. I think that it makes a cleaner cut and a cleaner cut means less oxidation in the refrigerator. I try not to use scissors because they don't really cut clean. They kind of make a angled or a smeared cut and then the microgreen can oxidize and rot quicker in the refrigerator. If I know I'm going to use the tray up, I may just use scissors because it's a little bit easier. But overall, I generally use a harvest knife. And that's my philosophy of growing microgreens at home. If you have any questions, please email me at Todd at homemicrogreens.com. If you thought this uh, pod, if you thought this podcast was helpful or you think the information on the website is helpful, there are ways down below that you can support the podcast and support homemicrogreens.com. If you live in the United States, if, of course, you can buy from the Home Microgreens store. If you're international, I do have a few premium courses that you can purchase or you can, again, use the links down below and uh, donate or actually uh, help support the podcast by buying me a cup of coffee or uh, subscribing. I'd really appreciate it if you do. I do put a lot of time and effort into this, and um, I hope you appreciate it. And I'd be grateful grateful for any support that you could show me. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and get out there and let's plant some microgreens. Thank you for listening to the Microgreens podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment. It really helps out the podcast. As always, stop by homemicrogreens.com and say hello. Now before the next show, plant your next tray of micros. Let's keep growing.